Hey there, everyone. It is then again with the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Glenn, and today I have a an old friend with me, a special guest, Mr. Charlie Road Armor. Charlie, tell us about yourself and enlighten us as to why I'm talking to you today. Well, uh, good morning, Glenn. Good to see you. Well, I'm the manager director here at Sequoia Birthplace Museum in Vaughnor, Tennessee. This year, 2021, uh, is the bicentennial of Sequoia finishing the syllabary. He announced in 1809 and started, uh, worked 12 years of his life until he finally finished his syllabary in 1821. We're celebrating that this year, 200 years of Cherokee literacy. Which is pretty cool. Uh I often say this, so maybe you can burst my bubble. The Cherokee are the only Native American tribe to develop a written form of communication that we know of, correct? Yes. I believe the Mayans had pictoglyphs, but here in North America, the Cherokee were the first ones to have a written language, and it was created by Sequoia, who was Cherokee. Now, as time goes by, there are other tribes uh, and other nations that actually do develop a writing system. But typically, someone's involved that's had a formal education that went to a university, could speak several languages and read several languages, whereas Sequoia never went to school, never learned to read or write in any language. Give us just the, the brief biography of the man himself and how, you know, how he got to the point of recognizing the need for this and then making it happen. Well, Sequoia is born in or near the village of Tuskegee. Uh, which is about a mile and a half from where the Sequoia Birthplace Museum is located today in modern-day Von Orr. His father is a gentleman named Nathaniel Gist, and Nathaniel had, had been a fur trader. He'd been coming to the Cherokee Overhill since the 1750s. He had become very good friends with the Cherokee, and he was also very good friends with a gentleman named George Washington. He uh, is asked by George Washington to come and visit the Cherokee here in the Overhill about and, and talk to him about not siding with the British if and when war was to break out. Uh, the Cherokee had been staunch allies with the British for years, except that little period of the Cherokee War. So he travels in here. Uh, Nathaniel comes in in 1775, 1776, and possibly again in 1777. So it would have been one of those three years that Sequoia was born. Sequoia's mother is Werta. Werta is of the Paint Clan. Uh, it's a very powerful family, very influential. Her uh, her father, her brothers are leaders, headmen within the clan and within the nation. So it's a very powerful family. Once Sequoia is born, uh, Werta actually gives him an English name, George Gist. And Sequoia uses the name George Gist throughout his life, but he also uses Sequoia. And that could be a whole program in itself. It can translate in many different things or can be translated uh, to many different things, but most agree it translates as pig's foot. And why would we call him pig's foot? Most scholars agree one thing, definitely, that he had a physical challenge. He had a, a limp. And there's when the agreement goes its different ways. I found over 25 different reasons why Sequoia had a limp. Some stories have him uh, wounded as a as a small boy in a hunting accident. Others say he was wounded at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend when he served with the United States Army fighting against the Creek. Some say he had a deformed foot or a club foot. I've heard rheumatoid arthritis. So there's a number of different reasons. I found over 25 different reasons. We know he had a physical challenge. How does a pig walk? He walks very stiff-legged. And so it's more of a description of how he walked. 
some of the argument is if you change one of the syllables, sequoia changes into mean principal bird or sparrow. And some think that his name actually changed after he created or the syllabary. And it's kind of a, an honor of calling him that. So and others that don't have the ear are still hearing him say Koya. Is he, is he educated in the American European fashion like so many uh, Cherokee were? What was his background as far as knowing how to create a syllabary? Basically, from all the records, he never went to any of the mission schools or nat- never had any influence on how to read and write English. We know there's an incident that happens that he goes to someone here in the Cherokee Overhill or near the Overhill that taught him to write his name so that he could sign his work. To back up just a hair, as he's growing up, he would build little houses and people were amazed at the detail that he would put in these little model houses that he would build. And as he kind of grows older, he started drawing pictures and one said, he drew the best bison than anybody else. It looked exactly like a bison. As time goes by, he would draw people. One of his family members said you could look at his drawing and you could recognize the person. So he's very artistic. He works with his mom in the fur trade. She had ended up with Nathaniel Gist's fur trade business. And so she's running that. Sequoia works with her or for her uh, in the fur trade for a while. He then he spends some time teaching himself to silversmith. So he would make things out of silver, gorgettes and armlets and different types of jewelry. And he was self-taught at that. But then he learns to blacksmith. Now, where he learned to blacksmith would have been at the Teleco Blockhouse. From the records, Sequoia was living a mile and a quarter from where Nine Mile Creek ran into the Tennessee. That's exactly where the spot that the Teleco Blockhouse was built. Now, originally, the blockhouse was built to run. Uh, there was an army garrison which would patrol, making sure that no white settlers were encroaching on Cherokee lands. So that was the original purpose of the blockhouse. After Thomas Jefferson comes up with the Americanization program, that's one of the factories is built there. And the Americanization program was a, something that Thomas Jefferson came up with to teach all natives, not just the Cherokee but to teach them to be like the little white European settlers, to live on 50, 75 acre farms, grow their own food, sell the surplus, learn industrial arts like blacksmithing, tinsmithing, coopering, uh, to generate more money for themselves and to become like the European settlers the, that were down the road. And uh, the whole point was they wouldn't need parts of, like for the Cherokee, parts of eight states to go deer hunting in anymore. And then what do we do with all that surplus land? We trade it, sell it, buy it, and then sell it to make more money. He's phenomenally skilled. And so he develops, he, he doesn't develop the language. Obviously, the Cherokee language exists and has existed for quite some time. But he makes a system of writing it down. Now, you keep saying the word syllabary, and you're not saying the word alphabet. Tell us, yeah. why, tell us what the differences are there and, and, and how that developed. Well, let me, let me back just up a little more of the background story is Sequoia's become a blacksmith. And this is where the problem that he faces in the occupations before it was cash on the barrel head. You want this trade gun? Well, that's 25 hides. You know, you only have 20. You need to go get five more hides. Come back and see me later. I want to buy that gorget. Well, that gorget's $10. Well, you only have nine. You need to go get another dollar. Come back and see me when you've got $10. Now he's a blacksmith and the Cherokee culture is changing during this period. You know, the men were hunters and warriors and now they're becoming farmers, agriculturalists. And 
you're out plowing in the field, you tear up your plow, you need it fixed today so you can get back in the field and finish plowing. Well, Glenn, you bring your plow into Sequoia. Sequoia looks at it. Oh, you tore that up. That's going to, that's going to cost you $3. You tell Sequoia, I got to have it fixed today because I got to get back out in the field, finish plowing. And by the way, Sequoia, I spent all my money on seed. I don't have any money until I sell my, my crop at market. So where Sequoia's problem is, is, you know, the Cherokees, if, if you gave me two apples and she gave me two apples, I have four apples. Well, they can say that in the Cherokee language, but they had no symbol, right? Two plus two equals four. They didn't have a numbering system. They didn't have any symbols or characters to write a sentence that he gave me two apples and she gave me two apples. So therefore I have four apples. They couldn't put that in Cherokee on a piece of paper. And so what Sequoia did first is he developed a numbering system. And what he would do is he would take and draw a picture of your face and then out the side of it, make his mark for $3. So he fixes the plow, you load it up, go off. You know, spring turns into summer, summer turns into fall. Everybody's harvested their crop. Everybody's got money. Sequoia could pull out his accounting system and look and say, Glenn owes me $3 for that plow I fixed for him back in April. He sees you coming down the trail. Hey, Glenn, you got my $3? $3? I don't know. I don't have $3. Well, you owe me $3. So you need to get your $3. A couple of days later, you come back up the trail and Sequoia sees you and you go, hey, have you got my $3? I have half of it. (laughs) Very good example. What Sequoia would do is take and draw a line through the number, through his number, write down the new number, and he still knows that you still owe him money. And so the interesting thing about the Cherokee numbering system that he developed, or the Sequoia numbering system, is that there's no zero. And when I talked to Shirley Oswald, she was our, our Cherokee lady from Snowbird that would started our Cherokee language program here at Sequoia 18 years ago, I guess. She's since passed. But um, one afternoon, I was working with the numbering system, and, and Shirley came over to teach the class. And I took her the numbering system and handed it to her. And I said, why do you think Sequoia didn't have a zero? And she said, it's Cherokee. Here's zero apple. Here's a zero dollar. We wouldn't say or do that. So to Sequoia, zero is a line through the number saying you're paid up. Makes sense. From that is where we get to the point where in 1809, Sequoia announced, hey, we could create a writing system. We could put our our words on paper. And so in 1809, he began that 12-year journey trying to create the writing system, which he finished in 1821. We know he tries different types of writing systems. For example, one of the first thoughts that he tries is he'll just create a symbol for every sentence. Well, very quickly, he realizes that's not going to work. Uh, I mean, it'll work, but there's no way to remember all those symbols or all the sentences. And so then he thinks more along the lines, well, what if I create a symbol for every word or concept? And so, you know, hieroglyphics. And so it worked for the ancient Egyptians. It's worked for the Chinese, for the Japanese, for cultures all around the world. But the problem was Sequoia couldn't remember the symbols. And he realized if he couldn't remember the symbols, how would the Cherokee people ever remember it? So he realizes that system's not going to work. Now, there's a multitude of stories of how he comes about this. My particular favorite is that one day he's just listening. He's just out in the woods. He's He's listening, taking a break in the blacksmith shop. He's listening to the birds sing. And as he hears the bird's song, he hears repetitive sound. And that kind of gets him to thinking, well, what about the sounds of the language? And so he starts listening to his family and his friends, his neighbors. And he pulls out the little repetitive sounds that he hears throughout the language. 
and he gives them symbols. To answer your question, why did uh, I don't say alphabet, is Sequoia didn't take that next step. If he took the next step, like we use an alphabet, A, B, C, D, F, G, we put the letters together to create sound, the syllable. And then we put the syllables together to create the words. Words. The words create sentences. Sentences create paragraphs. And so as Sequoia is creating this, he stops at the sound, the sound of the language. He finds 87 sounds and he creates 87 symbols for those sounds. This is why the graphics, I feel, are so important. So that's why I'd like to take pictures and I'll send those to you after we get done. So Sequoia's created these symbols. These symbols, a lot of them, the vast majority of them don't exist. And so, you know, the Cherokees vote and decide this is this is our official writing system. We want to buy a printing press. And Elias Boutnock goes off and starts raising money to buy the printing press. And they start looking into buying the press. Well, they can't afford to create all the type, all the molds to create the type to be able to print on the printing press because these symbols didn't exist. And so what happens is Elias Boutenot, probably Reverend Samuel Wooster, probably several other Cherokees are involved in actually taking Sequoia's symbol and creating a new, a new symbol. A lot of when you look at the Cherokee syllabary today, you see symbols we recognize. I mean, there's W's and there's fours, upside down fours. There's G's and C's and A's and E's and B's. And so if you look, that made it cheaper to buy the printing press because those molds existed. Now you'll see some that have little squiggly lines or a line through it. Well, that was a little more because, but you changed the mold. It would cost a little bit, but it would make it look different. And then there's some symbols in there that exist nowhere else in the world, and that makes it uniquely Cherokee. So with a with a syllabary that's based on syllables, how easy was this to disseminate throughout the Cherokee Nation and get people to start using it? In part of the story, in early, uh, the very traditional Cherokees looked at Sequoia as being insane, being crazy to even attempt trying to do this. If the creator had wanted them to read and write, he had already given them that ability. Did you ever have to read and write? No. Did your parents ever write anything down? No. We don't need this. Uh, the creator gave us the ability to know the plants and the animals, to live in you know the nature. He didn't think that we needed that ability. And so, so they didn't think it, it could be done. And so Sequoia, finally, what, what ends up happening after it's created, he goes to, I think it was a meeting, or he, he actually wrote a speech out in his syllabary. And so he gets to this meeting, and he reads it. And so the rumors start going around the community and they get back to the elders. And the, the Cherokees had always had law. Before the Europeans showed up, they had their own laws. And there was oral laws. Everybody knew what it was to be a proper Cherokee boy or a proper Cherokee girl, an adult as you grew up. And one of the laws was you could be put to death for witchcraft. And so the rumors start going around, you know, he's making these strange marks on a piece of paper. What's he up to? And so when it gets back to the elders, the elders sent word to Sequoia and said, hey, you need to come before us. We want to see what you're doing. So Sequoia gets there to a meeting place. And they take his first student is his youngest daughter, Aoka. Uh, she's a little girl, 6 to 12 years old. Uh, and she's his first person to learn to read and write a syllabary. And so when they get to the elders, they take little Aoka away. And Sequoia turns and starts, you know, asks the, one of the elders to start speaking. As the elder talks in Cherokee, Sequoia writes down every word using his syllabary. 
Well, they bring Aoka back, who had been carried so far away she couldn't hear, see, or know what was done or said. Sequoia hands her the talking leaf. Now, Sequoia calls it a talking leaf. Why do you think he calls it a talking leaf? Because it's paper, right? Because it's got the whistling wind that goes through it. If you throw it up in the air, it flutters like a leaf. And if you look at the talking leaf, what does it do? If you understand the symbols on the leaf, it talks to you. It tells you what it says. And so Sequoia hands the talking leaf to little Aoka, and she reads word for word what the elder had told Sequoia. And so that proves several things. First of all, it's not, this isn't witchcraft. This isn't evil. This is incredible. We can actually put our words on paper now. And so with that, they realize, I mean, right there that, you know, we could, I mean, how did the Cherokees communicate up to this point? Face-to-face. Right. I kind of use, imagine O'Connor who was the Cherokee that led the siege against Fort Loudon. You know, imagine he had to go to every single town and talk to basically every single Cherokee, convince them to go against the English, to fight the British, to lay siege. Now they had the power of the written word. They could actually write it down, make copies, go to the, you know, take these to the north, take these to the south. So they could communicate without having to physically go and talk face to face. And they also realized we could communicate as a nation. We could create a newspaper. We could communicate as the Cherokee Nation. So from that test, there were a group of warriors who were there, and it would have been their job to have executed Sequoia and Aoka if they had been found witches. But when this all happened, they came over and said, asked Sequoia, will you teach us? Will you teach us to read and write? And according to tradition, Sequoia sat down with the warriors that were there and started teaching them, teaching them to read and write Cherokee that day. Now, the beautiful thing is, it's the syllabary. It's the sound of the language. So if you're a Cherokee, you've grown up speaking the language, you know how to speak it. You learn the symbol that goes with the sound, and you can slowly start sounding it out and start writing things down. You can start sounding it out and slowly reading. The more you read, the more you write, the better you become at it. So it was very easy and very quick for the Cherokees to learn to read and write using the Cherokee syllabary. So they, they take Sequoia's syllabary and Boudinot creates a printing press and therefore creates a newspaper. Tell us about the newspaper and how, how revolutionary that was in tribal politics, culture, transformation, all those things. One of the other things that the Cherokees do in this period is that they write their own constitution. And and it, it actually the first, volume one, number one, volume one, number two, is the Cherokee Constitution. And it's printed in Cherokee, it's printed in English. And one of the problems, uh, and that was actually printed on February 21st, 1828. Cherokee Phoenix, it's, it's the first bilingual newspaper in the United States, printed in Cherokee and in English. And it's also the first tribal newspaper in the United States. So, and to kind of sidestep again, back to the constitution, a lot of people talk about the gold being found in Dahlonega as being one of the major issues that, that kind of pushes the removal of the Cherokee. A number of years ago, I went through the, the Cherokee, Cherokee Nation history course with Dr. Julia Coates. And I remember that a lot of the Cherokee scholars said that's a, it's an issue, the golden Dahlonega, but it had pretty much been panned out, or so to speak. It, it, it already gotten most of the gold. What was really the pushing force to removal is when the Cherokees cre- created their constitution. Again, it was Governor Lumpkin, I believe, was governor yep. at that point. Yep. And Andrew Jackson is in the White House. 
and it kind of forms the perfect storm that leads to removal. I think that plays into why the removal happens. It, it, you know, a lot of people kind of blame it on Dahlonega, but I, I, you know, I think it was the fact that the Cherokees wrote their own constitution. Well, it starts to, um, not that they weren't legitimate before, but it starts to legitimately make them what they claim to be, a sovereign nation of law, a, quote, civilized nation, just as good as any of the states in the union, and what could possibly be a bigger threat, right? Exactly. So the the Cherokee have a constitution, they have a a newspaper, there are forces at play, the Cherokee are removed, (laughs) the Trail of Tears happens, there's some sum up for you. So how in the world have the Cherokee maintained this lang- this written language, this syllabary that Sequoia developed? It's still in use. Tell us, I mean, tell us how we got from 1838 to what we have today. Well, as, as we mentioned, you know, the removal comes about, the Georgia militia confiscates the printing press. And so there is a period that uh, there, there's not the press. And there were millions of pages. I mean, it wasn't just the newspaper. Elias Boutenot, the Reverend Samuel Wooster started translating the Bible and hymns. There were pamphlets and booklets and, and just stacks and stacks of things that were printed at New Echota up until when the press was confiscated. When the nation finally gets or gets out to the Indian Territory, they do get a new press. There's a, there's a, a, a history of the newspaper itself, which uh, the Cherokee Phoenix is currently, I think, uh, published once a month uh, by the nation, and it's a free publication. You can uh, contact, and they will send you a copy of the the, uh, Cherokee Phoenix uh, currently that's published. I started here at Sequoia Birthplace about uh, 2000. Back then, 20 years ago, the Cherokee Nation and the Eastern Band and the United Gadua, all three federally, they're the three federally recognized tribes or groups of Cherokee. They had identified that by, I think, 2030, the vast majority of Cherokee speakers are will be gone. And so a number of programs have been started out in Oklahoma uh, with the Cherokee Nation and the Gaduas, and then a number of programs have been started in Cherokee, North Carolina, to try to turn that around. They still are the language is still both written and spoken is in danger. You know, a lot of those traditional speakers, the ones that grew up, uh, as I mentioned, Shirley Oswald, she spoke Cherokee. She learned to speak English when she went to uh, first grade and her brother and her sister were the, also the same way. Lou uh, Jackson and Gil Jackson. And they both have helped us uh, since Shirley passed that uh, with our doing the Cherokee language program here. The last time before the pandemic, started and restrictions on groups our last class had 29 students and some are Cherokee descendant some are just interested in language some are interested in Cherokee culture some you know it's, it's a kind of a multitude of, of people that, that come to the class and also in Cherokee uh, they like I said they've been done created intensified language programs summer camps for kids uh, they have the United uh, excuse me the Gadua Academy in Cherokee, which I think it's uh, first, maybe kindergarten through sixth or seventh grade, and their classes are in Cherokee. And then when they finally get to this, I think sixth, seventh grade, then they go to uh, Cherokee High School. 
Do uh okay, so so they have worked to keep it alive. I know that you and this Kauai Birthplace Museum have worked to keep this story alive. As we close up, tell us a little bit about the museum there, what y'all do, and how uh, our listeners can find out more about you or dare to dream after everything opens back up, come to visit. <laughs> well, we are open. We're open from uh, 9 to 4, Monday through Saturday, and 12 to 4 on Sunday. We have limited numbers, so when we get 15 people in the building, we uh, ask that the visitors visit the outside exhibits. Uh, we have the Memorial Mound, 192 Cherokee remains that could be identified as 18th century Cherokee were returned back to the Eastern Band as part of creating a memorial to the Cherokee that had lived here. And so this goes back to the when they were building the dam here at the Teleco Lake. And so we asked that they, they visit our outside exhibits. We have a blacksmith shop and a cabin. And so if we're at 15 or full capacity, then the folks can visit outside. We're following the guidelines of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee, which if you're in a, a public space, you need to wear a mask. And so we ask that you, you know, comply with uh, the Eastern Band rules because we are all we are owned and operated by the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indian. Our website is uh, just Sequoia Birthplace Museum. If you Google us, we keep a lot of our um, a lot of our updated information on Facebook. So just visit visit the Sequoia Birthplace Museum. When we can start doing lectures or classes, uh, we certainly put it on both the website and Facebook. We also, um, as I mentioned in the very beginning. This is the bicentennial of Sequoia creating the writing system. And so we have some planned programs. We're working on getting our printing press uh, up and running. And so we'll actually be printing in uh, the Cherokee syllabary and in English. Uh, we're looking at several projects with that. So we're hoping to be able to do that this year as part of the celebration of the, the 200 years of Cherokee literacy. Fantastic. Well, uh, Mr. Road Armor, thank you so much for being with us. This is a fascinating topic. I bet most people uh, did not know very much about Sequoia or the history of the syllabary. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you keeping this fantastic story alive. Well, anytime, Glenn. Thank you very much and come up and see us. We will. Folks, that's all we have time for on Then Again. So we hope you keep listening. Of course, follow us on our Facebook, on our website, and right here on the podcast website. So until we tune in with you next time, stay safe and take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. We also hope you'll join us for our free weekly live stream programs on Facebook Live and YouTube Live every week at 2 p.m. Eastern. Just search for the Northeast Georgia History Center and we'll pop right up. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.